T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. And is Esme Murphy, 809, 64 degrees. Time now for one of my favorite guests, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. How about you? Hopefully you got outside today. Absolutely. Absolutely a beautiful day. I want to start right off the bat with this extraordinary situation. Uh, The president calling out on Twitter the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, after she criticized the level of federal response uh, saying that more water, more food, uh, more basic supplies were needed, that people were dying. The president fired back, criticizing him for her poor leadership, uh, saying that she's not able to get her workers to help. Uh, this has resulted in an enormous firestorm storm on social media, many celebrities, uh, politicians weighing in. Your thoughts about and, – and President Trump tweeting from – his golf course in New Jersey, and that's getting a lot of play, that here's this woman who's living on a cot at a refugee shelter in San Juan. There are pictures of her wading in contaminated water with a bullhorn, and he's at his golf course in New Jersey criticizing her for her failure of leadership. Uh, the optics on this aren't good. Their optics are not good. This either reminds me of the old phrase, you know, neurofiddles while Rome burns, or more importantly, this kind of brings back the imagery that you had when Bush was president and the mishandling of Katrina in terms of all the really horrible imagery that we had here. But think about lots of interesting sort of contradictions and imagery here. You had Donald Trump heavily criticizing Barack Obama for um, the amount of time that he played golf. And what we now know is Donald Trump has, is, is off on golf courses far more than, than Barack Obama. That's sort of one one contradiction here, too. As you exactly pointed out here, there is the, the imagery of Donald Trump at one of his, I think it's his own resort in New Jersey, if I remember it correctly. It is, yes. His own resort. Well, you're right. At the same time, we have Puerto Rico, which in case people are forgetting, is part of the United States, um, um, is significantly devastated and could use probably far more assistance, more help from FEMA and probably federal troops at this point to really help them with what is a clearly a severe public health crisis. And so, so it's, it's not playing well. And unlike Bush, I will say, who, who did take a lot of criticism when he was president and moved to correct some of those things, you might recall he removed his FEMA director and a couple of other things, Trump is not taking the criticism very well. Right. And, and you know, I don't recall, though, President Bush specifically. He wasn't Yeah, he wasn't out. But he also, I don't think, was specifically, he was not calling out the mayor of New Orleans or the police chief right. uh, in, in any specific way. So it does seem to be an extraordinary attack under extraordinary circumstances. Right. Because I remember with, with, I think, how what was happening with New Orleans is that the mayor and, and, and that area was, were making more requests and they were critical, and I think everybody acknowledged the fact that that FEMA mishandled that mis- mishandled Katrina. Um, but a lot of it was simply the the mayor making requests and saying we have people stranded, we have people trapped in what was it the um, 
was it the uh, the um, was it the Superdome or something like that? Whatever right. it was down there, like the, I think remember correctly. And now here, in part, you have the the mayor of of San Juan rightly making criticism and requesting more help. And instead of it being turned into okay, what do we need to do to address address the problem here? It is Trump. Uh, um, basically going on going on the attack and and you're right it's it's not playing well it playing well in the media and it's not playing well I think with lots of people right and well of course the president referring to it as the fake news media I mean certainly we've seen time and time again when the president does stake out a controversial position uh, such as this one uh, you know his base his supporters continue to rally around him and I think. Uh, I mean, do you think that's going to continue? I think it probably will. It probably will on this one, and in part because um, his base is, is not the Hispanic population. His base are not people coming from, from Puerto Rico, um, in part because remember also um, um, people who are in Puerto Rico, even though they are U.S. citizens, they do not vote in U.S. presidential elections. And so on one level, um, I hate to put it so crassly, they don't matter to Donald Trump in, in some ways from an electoral point of view, and his base um, is, is, is not that concerned with it. And so, so I think um, he's, he's relatively insulated with his base. I think this effort of going on the offensive um, again plays well with the, with his you know with his supporters but in terms of how well it plays with again the Hispanic Latino community and among swing voters well um, we're still quite a ways away from 2018 and 2020 all right um, I guess professor David Schultz of Hamlin University um, we are going to take a quick break uh, when we come back we're going to continue the discussion also talking about uh, you know the optics of last weekend when the Puerto Rican crisis was unfolding and the president tweeting significantly about the NFL, the taking of the knee. Uh, you had the win by Roy Moore in Alabama over Luther Strange, the candidate that Donald Trump actually flew down to campaign for. Uh, you've got the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Dr. Tom Price, who was forced to resign for using a private plane. A lot going on, not a lot of it good news for the president. Uh, obviously, the, the final defeat of uh, Obamacare as well. Let's take a quick break. More with David Schultz after this. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCC. It is 818 in the Twin Cities, 64 degrees. Uh, a lot going on, uh, to say the least. Um, before the break, I kind of threw out a litany of things that had happened this week. None of them particularly good news for the president. What stands out in your mind? Well, first off, I think you're absolutely right. This was a really horrible week for him um, in terms of the fact that, as, he, as you did the litany, you know, um, he has a, uh, um, a cabinet member who has to resign under, under um, um, an ethics scandal. Obama Dr. Care. Tom Price, who Tom resigned Price. on Friday. Obamacare crashes again. Um, um, I mean, I guess if, I, if, if I'm or, or the attempt to repeal it crash again, but you really have to say, despite all of that, it really is. I think the the headline grabber for the week was the NFL and the uh, and the national anthem and Trump's tweets tweets on that. And even though I think in many ways it was a, a diversion from I think real substantive public policy, real um, um, real politics. Um, nonetheless, I think that captured the attention of probably most of the people in the United States. I know it certainly did with my students because. 
Um, I was able to get almost an entire hour of discussion with them, um, <laughs> um, all, really all about it, because explaining to them in terms of um, the the sort of the legal legal issues around around the national anthem and about free speech and that I just mentioned that because I really do think that most people this week were talking more about that than anything else. Right. It, it, despite the fact that there were all these enormous things going on as right. well, right. Um, in terms of. Um, the issue of Obamacare uh, running up against uh, this deadline of September 30th when the bill was, I guess, originally crafted. There's got something called re- reconciliation right. um, and that has to be done within the fiscal year, which right. is September 30th, which of course is today. I-, I think it's pretty clear that the Republicans never thought they'd have to – they'd have it done way, way before that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And what the reconciliation procedure was was something that the Democrats had used when they passed the Affordable Care Act. And by treating it as a budget issue, they were able to get around the rule that would have allowed for a filibuster. And so, um, and, and basically, all it would have required was ordinary, you know, fifty, you know, you know, majority vote. And so, the Republicans were hoping for the same thing here. So, the Democrats didn't even have to filibuster the efforts to try to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And so that when it failed, it failed entirely. Why? Because there were no Republican, or not, I rephrase it, because there weren't enough Republicans to support it. And so it's going to be very hard to argue that the Democrats, you know, killed the effort to try to repeal Obamacare when Trump could even get um, the sufficient votes among the Republicans to be able to clear that bill and pass it. And so now going forward in terms of uh, if they're going to try to remove this, um, unless they can declare it again to be a reconciliation bill, it's now going to bring it back to the filibuster rule, which makes it, you know, which means it's going to take 60 votes, which means it's going to be even more complex to try to get rid of it. And so now the question is, do they try to do, as they've said several times, um, several people like Lamar Alexander, Amy Klobuchar, do they actually try to do a bipartisan bill? Do they just let it sit? Do they try to take another whack at repealing it? But the by, the, by, by, by midnight tonight, and as far as I know, there are no votes scheduled tonight. No, um, there are not. There, um, um, the effort to repeal Obamacare is, for the most part, dead yet again. Right. And, and, and obviously a signature, signature uh, campaign issue. Uh, another c- uh, campaign issue or, you know, sort of rallying cry for, cry for candidate Donald Trump, one that we touched on a little bit um, Drain the swamp. Right. Get rid of corruption. Get rid of all of the um, cushiness uh, associated with uh, being in power and and all of the the perks mm-hmm. that that are you know bad for for the American people and and that are indications of corruption. Well, we we mentioned that the Secretary of Health and Human Services had to resign because he had t- used private jets on right. the taxpayer dime. Uh, by some calculations, four hundred thousand dollars. He offered to repay fifty thousand, which was his own seat, apparently, or his calculation what his own seat is. But this issue of quote draining the swamp that certainly doesn't fit with the pattern of draining the swamp. It certainly doesn't, and it's part of a larger pattern of problems that I think the Trump administration is facing. And some of it goes back to the fact that Donald Trump, from the very beginning didn't do what many previous presidents have done, which is to place his assets or his business holdings in a blind trust 
so that there wouldn't be the conflicts of interest. Um, on top, so we don't have that. Second, because of the interrelationships of bringing us family on, you know, his daughter, Jared Kushner, and others, you have this very complex interrelationship of personal holdings, business holdings that really mix throughout the entire administration. And then if we can go back to what we were talking about at the beginning here, you now have, again, I would say it's a draining of a swamp problem when you have the president, you know, retreating to his own private golf course or his own country club um, in New Jersey, and at the same time, spending lots of time golfing while there's problems with Puerto, you know, in Puerto Rico flooding, and so put all this together, it's it's not a pretty picture about about what I would say serving the public. And I just mention this because, and I, th- I think you know this, but maybe not all the listeners do this. Know this that I spend a lot of time, you know, touring the state of Minnesota. I actually do ethics training for public officials, um, and so I, I just I'm I'm all you know I'm like the Johnny Cash dog I'm everywhere or something like that. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I, I really am across the state, and and is and and is it is these types of situations here about the intermixing of personal and private business. It's about not necessarily putting the public interest at the forefront. Is what a lot of people think of um, when they think about corruption. You know, it's not just sort of the the old image of handing somebody a satchel of money in a paper bag or something like that. I mean, this is all the stuff that I think um, people get very mad about and very annoyed about in terms of the sense of saying it doesn't look like public officials are putting the public first. And this is what I think we sort of saw this this week. And again, with Price having to step down, um, yes, he's going to reimburse for fifty-one thousand. Now, you mentioned the, what, a figure, what four hundred thousand? I've heard some estimates that with all the private jets and everything, that this was actually closer to a million dollars in terms of the costs. Um, and so, it's a pretty significant amount for the taxpayers. Plus, I'll throw in with Donald Trump is that um, there's an incredible amount of money already having been spent in terms of providing security and secret service protection for him and his family as they're traveling to their to their vacation spots or their country clubs um, on the weekends. Um, and I think at one point, you might remember the story, the Secret Service was talking about the fact that they had run out of money to provide security. Right. A- absolutely. And you also have the situation with uh, Jared Kushner, President's son-in-law, who is a top advisor to the president, uh, acknowledging that he did use a private email server yes. during the transition and also in the White House. Yes. I, this one is sort of almost defies any uh, logic at all. I mean, after, at the degree to which that was the issue that mm-hmm. brought Hillary Clinton down, right. it, 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 that was it. And, and the president, uh, when he was a candidate, you know, hammered that and hammered that and hammered that. Uh, it really was perhaps, I think, the issue in the end that destroyed her. I think it was. If you're going to look at some outside issue beyond the way she ran her own campaign, you know, this was the theme for what? Lock her up, lock her up. Um, it was, I mean, and, and the president it was, it was, is still it was, it was, using that Comey's, line right now. Right. It was Comey's reopening of her investiga- of the investigation what, in the last 10 days that many people see as perhaps perhaps I mean, having caused her the election. And even though, you know, we talked about this before, you know, I, I still think, you know, that the rules were pretty clear when Clinton was Secretary of State that her use of a, primal, prim, or of a, of a personal email server um, was not permitted. 
even, even if we give her the benefit of the doubt and say maybe she didn't understand, by the time um, the presidential campaign was over, um, the Trump campaign and staff sh- um, made it a singular issue, and that should have been the one thing they figured out going into the presidency is don't use private email servers. And alas, they did. And it's not just it's not just you know Jared Kushner. It's also sure. Steve Bannon. It's also Reince Priebus. Yes. Um, it's it's a whole host of others. Right. Um, and one of the things that people should keep in mind: it's not just we're, we're concerned about the fact that they're using those primate um, email servers um, for personal business, whatever. But again, the state of Minnesota, for example. Um, when you are a public official, when you're a civil servant, part of why they don't want you to use those private servers is because any of the communications that they have as public officials are public record, and the public has a right to inspect them. I mean, I know when I communicate, um, you know, when I, I forget, when I do the training, when I communicate with public officials, I just presuppose that all of my communications are, are subject to public scrutiny. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, before the break, I want to ask you, there are – a stream of reports, Paul Manafort, the, who was the chairman of the Trump campaign, will in fact be indicted. Yes. Um, I, I know you've seen the, those reports. What – I mean, do you think that they're reliable? I, I, well, I, well, given the stories that we've heard all about his interrelationship and his business dealings and meetings with, with Russians and so forth, uh, and we knew he had like, what, really, uh, some business relations also with the Ukraine and so forth, assuming all that is accurate um, – I would not be surprised if, um, if that's the first of the indictments, and I think it's not the end. I think it's going to be a very dark, cold fall and going into 2018 where there's going to be more grand jury inquests and there be, might be more indictments, which also means there'll be trials going into 2018. Which is, which is remarkable because the, the president has only been president for, what, nine months? Nine months. And given the fact that we've looked at previous administrations, whether it is Nixon, whether it was whether it was Reagan or even Clinton when he faced impeachment, these came late in their terms in terms of disabling their presidencies. This is coming very early um, in a Trump presidency. And it's one of those contributing factors that's really disabled this presidency from being able to move its political and, and policy agenda. All right, we're going to have to take a quick break here, folks. We're going to give you some weather. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask Professor Schultz about the victory in Alabama, Roy Moore, not the candidate the president wanted. He actually went down a campaign for Luther Strange. Uh, we'll ask him why is this such a big deal? What does this uh, suggest for the future of the Republican Party for 2018? And then also want to ask him about the president's tax plan. The president has not been able to get the repeal and replacement of Obamacare through. He's pushing for this tax plan. Will that work? Will the GOP, will the deficit hawks get on board in the Republican Party? Uh, all that is ahead. You're listening to News Radio 830 W. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. 836 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz, uh, saw on Twitter somebody uh, saying that. Uh, we were Trump bashing. Um, if there was anything positive to talk about in terms of what happened to the president this week, we certainly would be willing to talk about it. I just don't think this was a very good week. No, it wasn't. I was, I was just trying to think in terms of if I could find a, 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 a bright spot for him this week. 
and I'm not really seeing any really good news stories. I mean, if, yeah. if somebody wants to tweet in, yeah. You know, well, I, I think one thing maybe maybe uh, and you know is that. Um, Secretary Tillerson, the Secretary of State, is saying that the U.S. apparently does have some type of an open line of communication with Pyongyang, uh, the North Korean leadership. Uh, that perhaps might be a brief, brief uh, bright spot, but it's emerging, shall we say. That's right. I, I think that story started emerging today, and that would be good because if that's the case, then there looks like there's possibility for some type of um, – of a diplomatic solution to what's happening with North Korea. Uh, and, and it's worth staying with this for a second here because the, if we were to actually go to war, besides the fact that war is not good, too, most, I, think, I think I've seen polls that suggest a large percentage of the American population is against it. I mean, the, the war is clearly going to have a major impact um, on, on the United States, on Japan, on South Korea. It's not good. And so, so I think if there's some kind of a diplomatic opportunity here to do something, that's probably a very good direction to go. And so that may be the one story. And again, some people might at the end of the day side with the president in terms of the issue of of the national anthem. Although I would come back and say that the law is pretty well, yeah. clear. I think, I think. I think. Yeah. I think a lot of people do side with him on that. I think the yeah. issue was should he have been focusing on that to the degree that he was last week, right. last weekend, as opposed to this the scope of this crisis in in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. when the, he must have had intelligence suggesting. How, how awful it really is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to ask you about the election of Roy Moore uh, in the Alabama Senate race. Uh, is this – why is this a big deal? It's a big deal – actually, in interesting ways because Donald Trump was campaigning for his, um, for his, his Republican um, opponent – and, at the, and really wanted him to win, was basically campaigning for the establishment Republican candidate in this. And Roy Moore is sort of an, out, an outsider, I mean really an outsider, when I point out the fact that he was on the Alabama Supreme Court um, and he really, was, I think he was twice removed. Twice removed for it, um, and he's a real outsider, supported by Steve Bannon. And I mention this because, there's, again, the contradictions are, are interesting here because the Roy Moore is saying he's willing to support wholeheartedly the the agenda of 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 President President Trump and basically supports the sort of the insurgency aspect of what Trump is about. And you would think that would have meant that Trump would have been supporting him, but instead um, they're now sort of on opposite sides. And again, this is not good for the Republicans because he's again perceived as a candidate not part of the establishment. Also, he's going to be incredibly controversial in terms of the types of issues that he pushes, even for the Republican Party. And so, if one's thinking that Trump would have had some kind of coattail effects, especially when he personally campaigned um, for for um, um, for Moore's opponent, um, this again was was not a good sign for him in terms of what he was able to achieve. Um, and isn't this though just as much a rebuke of the president as it is for the Republican leadership, it is. Senator it really Mitch is. McConnell, because. Because he, he's also said that I think Roy Moore also has made a commitment and said that he would like to remove Mitch McConnell um, from the from the U.S. Senate, uh, or at least have him removed from the leadership. I should say I'll qualify that. And so this is yet another attack um, on on, this, on the, the Senate leadership. And again, it's interesting because 
Donald Trump has said this several times, that he would like to have Mitch McConnell ousted also. Um, And so, you know, but that candidate didn't win. It's also pretty extraordinary, isn't it, for a a sitting president to actually get involved in a, a primary? It is. Usually they don't. I mean, you would expect him to get involved now with the general election. And now this becomes an interesting question. To what extent will the president now be involved in the general election, which I think the general election is going to be in November, if I remember correctly, um, in a few weeks. And so so if, if he does come in and campaign for the Republican, it is the Republican who he didn't want. And this, and again, it'll be somebody who, if elected, um, may, may pose all types of problems for the Republican Senate leadership. All right. Listen, we're going to take a quick break again. And when we come back, uh, love to get your thoughts on the president's tax plan. I mean, he has not gotten the repeal and replacement of Obamacare. It really doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. This is what he needs to say, hey, listen, I've got a Republican House, I've got a Republican Senate, and we got we got something done. But let's break that down because you have taken a very hard look at this. Uh, there are a lot of questions uh, from both sides of the aisle over this proposal. Uh, you're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz. It is 846 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. Uh, you've heard me mention this before. You have a very good uh, blog, but first I've got to do uh, the McCarthy Auto World Time is 8 or 846 certified McCarthy Cadillacs now up to 40% off of MSRP. Shop McCarthyAuto.com. That's McCarthyAuto.com. Uh, I was saying that you have written a blog uh, about uh, your, your latest blog is about this proposed tax cut and tax reform plan that the president has put out. Uh, tell us about uh, how big a deal is it for the president to be able to get this through? This would be enormous for him because, again, if we think in terms of, again, the fact that he doesn't have really a major legislative victory yet now, what, almost, what, nine months, ten months into his administration, wanted the Affordable Care Act repeal, which would have, one would have thought when the election occurred that it was a foregone conclusion that Obamacare was gone. That hasn't happened. So now this is the big signature issue that he and the Republicans are pushing. And if you think of any issue that the Republicans should be able to achieve consensus on, it really is about tax cuts, because if I can't think of any other issue that defines the Republican Party um, than does wanting to cut taxes. And so this is one that they really want to have. This is a place to their base, place to lots of people. Um, and it's just not clear at this point that, again, in the same way with the, with the repeal of Affordable Care Act, there may be significant divisions within the Republican Party um, that may also prevent these tax cuts from going through. And in terms of the way this is crafted, uh, the analysis is that the bulk of the benefit would go to those who are wealthy, including President Trump, to corporations, uh, as opposed to the middle and lower classes. Is that the way you see that as well? That's the way I see it also. I mean, there are, there are several things in this, in this proposal that I do not think work, work to the benefit of the middle class. For example, you know, one of the things that he's 
um, I was going to say trumpeting, so there's, a, there's really a bad pun there, of course, that he's trumpeting here, is the fact that there would be a consolidation and elimination of some tax brackets, um, a second, uh, the elimination of the estate tax, um, and an increase in the in the um, um, standard deduction. Well, it's just not clear that any of those three are going to work to the benefit of middle-class or low-income Americans. And one of the things I want to start off with here is, um, is that right now you do not pay an estate tax unless you, I think the number is, unless you inherit um, nearly $4.5 million. Now, I don't know about you, Esme. Maybe you can help me on this one. I don't know too many middle-class Americans that inherit $4.5 million. Do you know of many? No. I think that would put them out of the middle class. It would put them out of the middle class. The estate tax right now affects very, very few people, um, and he's proposing um, eliminating that. Well, that's certainly not going to benefit middle-class Americans. Second is that the alternative minimum tax was put in place to prevent people from being able, individuals and corporations, from using, let's say, smart tax laws to be able to escape taxes. And in part, Donald Trump um, has been subject to the alternative minimum tax. Um, Otherwise, if that wasn't in place, he would have gotten away without having to pay any tax. So that doesn't apply. And then also, for many middle-class Americans, they either make too much money to use the standard deduction, and if you're poor, um, you don't really, uh, will not qualify to be able um, to use the increased standard deduction. But it deduction. would double the standard deduction. Right, it would double it. But still, for many people, it's just, it's just not, um, again, poor people are, are, who don't make very much money aren't going to make enough money to qualify to be able to use that. And for many middle-class Americans, they make more, 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 more money and, and don't take the standard deduction, but actually do itemize. And so it's just not clear how much even that that provision will work. And then again, the consolidation of tax brackets um, is going to result in a decrease in, in the tax rates for for, um, for for many of the wealthy. And actually at the, at the lowest level, um, there's actually a proposal to increase the tax rate. So, so overall, we've got those problems. Additionally, I'm going to throw in here, that some estimates are it's going to decrease the the revenue for the United States government, you know, by well in excess of a trillion dollars, and unless that's accompanied either by tax cuts um, to be able to, or, or by, by program cuts, I should say, by program cuts, it's it's going to it's going to inf- basically um, rapidly increase the deficit of which many of the deficit hawks are concerned about. Well, and that's that. I mean, that's a question I, I want to ask about. Yeah. I mean. It- are Republicans going to be on board with this? Because you've got people. I mean, the president says, you know, in, in response to, well, this is just only going to benefit the wealthy. The president says, by cutting the corporate sales tax, by cutting uh, taxes on the wealthiest individuals who are likely to, to reinvest that that uh, income, that extra money, you're going to generate growth in the economy, and that's going to help. Everyone, right? And, okay. and this is this is sort of the classic supply side economics argument. And this is on something that I have written um, way too much in my life. And I'll just simply say there is absolutely overwhelming evidence. And my blog talks about this historically. I can trace this back for like over seventy years. There is absolutely no evidence um, that cutting tax rates on the on the income highest income earners or corporations results in producing the economic growth or gains um, that are being described. Um, there's just just the evidence just 
is not there uh, whatsoever. And I can, and you can go look at my blog on this one. We can look the points back in the 50s and 60s um, um, where the tax rates, corporate tax rates, individual tax rates were double, if not triple, of what they are right now. And the job production and, and GDP growth, gross domestic product growth, um, was g- far greater and much better than it was when we had what lower tax rates. So, so the evidence just doesn't support it. And we don't have from historical evidence, again, indications that that money um, that's being cut is going to eventually trickle down and benefit middle class or lower income Americans. If we were going to do anything, a couple of things would actually benefit middle class and benefit the poor more. For example, one of the things you could do would be to cut the payroll tax, Social Security, and make that not a flat rate, which is regressive, but turn it into a, a progressive tax. And two, the earned income tax credit would be a dramatic way of also helping uh, people of more modest incomes. All right, but, but let me ask you, going back to this issue of the deficit hawks, right. are Republicans – I mean, you, you you seem to have a deep divide within right. the Republican Party, people who might back this, but also there there's that other group that have been worried about the deficit. Right, right. And it's not just in the House of Representatives, but now we come back to the Senate again, because I think there are several senators, um, Republican senators, who might be very, very concerned about how this inflates the, the deficit, or conversely, how the... If, how budget cuts to pay for this are going to have a dramatic impact either upon the economy or upon their constituents. And I would say at this point that Trump's proposals are probably dead on arrival um, and are going to be subject to significant modification, if, it, if, if at all, um, in terms of whether or not they're going to pass. And, and that's, I mean, is there... Is there any room for compromise with Democrats who have been sort of uniformly critical? Right, and that becomes a question. To what extent are the Democrats going to work here, um, and, will the, and will Trump and their leadership in the Republican House and Senate, will they work with the Democrats in terms of some modifications on, on the tax, in terms of getting more middle-class middle class tax cuts or more to help sort of, again, low-income Americans? And that's going to be one of the questions to see. You know, one of the issues, though, I think that, that Democrats are going to have a hard time with is that lower – he simplified the, – the, the, you know, the argument for simplification of the tax code has a lot of supporters, but the shrinking of the number of tax bra- brackets, I think, to – I believe it's three. Three. From seven, I think it is right now, yes. Yes. So one of the things, the highest bracket, as I understand it, goes from about 39 to 35, and the lowest one goes from 10 to 12. Yes. And I, I think that's going to be a, a tough argument to sustain. Right, it is, because that's very clearly indicating that we are cutting taxes on the wealthy and increasing it on the poor. And this follows up on, again, incredible evidence that we've seen that in the last 30 to 35 years, that the gap already between rich and poor in the United States has dramatically increased um, and that we have already shifted significantly the, the tax burden away from to rich to middle class and to lower middle class. And so for all those people out there you know, who consider themselves to be middle or working class and you think that you're paying more than before, the reality is, yes, you are paying more. And these tax cuts um, will do nothing to reverse that trend. Can he get it through? Does he have, with all that's going on and, and the fractious relationships he has even within his own party, is there a chance of getting even some of this through? That's a really good question here. I think, I think again, this is, if there's any issue that the Republicans um, are united on, 
is tax cuts, but as you point out here, we also have the deficit hawks and the fact that so far the Trump presidency has not shown the skills to actually be able to move legislation through through the Senate and through the House. And given all that, I would be somewhat skeptical in terms of the ability to move on this also. And then keep in mind the fact that, as we talked about before, if we now start to see increased criminal investigations, uh, perhaps indictments of, of his administration, that is only going to further sidetrack or cripple the Trump presidency from being able to move its agenda. Right. And the suggestion in terms of indictments, just by reading the stories and the sourcing of them, it looks like the, that the indictment of his former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, could happen sooner than later. Yeah, I'm suspecting probably within a couple of weeks we're going to see something on that. All right. Well, listen, Professor David Schultz, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Same with you, and good night to everybody. Absolutely. And check out his blog, Schultz's Take, uh, where he does write about the president's sweeping tax cut proposal that was announced this particular week. Well, listen, I want to give a huge shout out to the producer of this show. I think I forgot to do that last week, Susan Blanche. She always just does a great job. Just a a pleasure to work with. Also, uh, Kevin Reed, thank you so much for uh, keeping us on the air and making sure that we uh, got all the guests on. Uh, We do want to let you know that coming up, uh, Timberwolves Timberwolves preseason game versus the Los Angeles Lakers in Anaheim tonight. So keep it here. News Radio 830 WCCO. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 